don't know if you've ever watched HGTV, but some of the biggest hits on TV right now, or in the past, I guess, five years, ten years maybe, have been DIY remodeling shows. At least if you're in a certain demographic, and by that I mean a female demographic, that's usually where those shows hit the most. But they're kind of neat to watch. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They go in, they take houses that need a little love, and they rebuild them, they restore them. Sometimes neighborhoods that are kind of down, and then they can restore them, right? And that is maybe something that hits a little close to home for us, because we tend to do that out of necessity sometimes when hurricanes or other things hit our area. Think about that for some of us and how we've been forced to redo and restore our homes. But we see that idea of restoration show up in the Bible, specifically we see it this morning in our psalm, this idea of taking something that used to be pristine and going well and put together, but then something happened, uh, it got neglected or run down, so to speak, and then it needed to be restored. Well, we see the Lord doing that with our souls in the psalm this morning. And so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Psalm 23 as we look at verse 3 this morning. If you've memorized it already, congratulations. And we will say it together. But we will uh, say together the entire psalm so you can either read it or say it from memory, but I will be saying it out of the ESV version this morning. But this is our passage this morning, Psalm 23, let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading and teaching of his word this morning. And so we are focusing in on verse 3 this morning, and really all of the psalm, you could say, is an autobiography of David's life. We don't know exactly when he wrote it, but it seems from things that this would be towards the end of his life as he's looking back at all the events of his life. And you can look back and see how David experienced each of these verses, right? Maybe not in detail. He doesn't go into detail here in Psalm 23. But we can see how each aspect of his life fits into some of these verses. And we probably don't have to think that hard to think about the time when David needed to be restored, when his soul needed to be restored, right? We remember the beginning, David was the shepherd boy who was called by God, anointed to be king, to replace 
Saul, Samuel came and anointed him. God looks not at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. We remember that God told Samuel as he was anointed. And so David didn't become king right then. He was really on the run for most of his life before he became king. He was on the run from Saul. Eventually, as he waited on the Lord, the Lord destroyed Saul. He killed him in battle. And then at that point, David ascended to be the king of Israel, as God had said. But even in all that time, all that hardship that David went through, there was never a time really when he doubted the Lord, when he wasn't praising the Lord. In fact, the psalm we'll look at this evening in Sunday evening service, Psalm 108, we see a lot of that, him praising the Lord even as he's waiting. But we see David having this trust in God even through all he's going through. He kept his eyes focused on the Lord. But then, as we're familiar with David's story, his eyes looked elsewhere. Right? We remember the story with David and Bathsheba, how he took her, he sinned, and we can read what David's sin did to him, did to Uriah, and did to really the entire nation. And that's really a turning point in David's story in the Old Testament, is this sin that he committed. It was, as we read in the Psalms about it, David wrote in Psalm 32 that it was like his bones were wasting away in him, that God's hand was heavy on him, it was drying up his strength like the heat of summer. That was some of the things he wrote about his experience. Psalm 51, like we read this morning, talked about how he needed his joy restored. He had no joy. It was as though he was shut out of the presence of God. Maybe you can relate to that, where it seems like God is just distance, even though you are drawing near to him in the scripture, drawing near to him as we come into his presence uh, together. But it just seems like he's distant. David had that experience. He, he cried out to the Lord to renew him, to restore him because of his sin. And maybe we can relate to that. I think if David, if that's common to David, it's common to us as well. This is a common thing that people go through. That when we sin, we need to be restored. And we see David really in his life, his, his soul was in this state for a long time. And we, we can put the pieces together. It was probably about a year that he went on in this state of dryness of soul. And then his restoration came about. But it wasn't quick, right? It, it lingered on him. And really that's the thing about sin. You might have heard the... The famous saying, right, that sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will take you farther than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay. Right? And we see that in David's life. That this went on and lingered in his life. And it was only when God eventually sent the prophet Nathan to him. To speak the truth and love to him. To confront him in his sin. That David realized what was going on. His eyes were open and praise God for people in our lives who will tell us when we're doing something wrong, who will turn us back to the right path. James talks about that, how that person who helps bring the person back, that person is really blessed by God. But 
God sent Nathan to help David see his sin. He confessed it. He cried out to God. And then we see him writing Psalm 51, crying out for restoration from God. And we know God did restore him. God did bring him forgiveness and goodness. As we read about, not just there, but Psalm 32 as well speaks much about the joy that's experienced in forgiveness. You can see how David experienced that in his life, right? And this is really a reminder to us that, well, as we read in Psalm 23, the mercy of God, the goodness of God follows us all the days of our life, right? David, even in his sin, God was still giving mercy and goodness. He did not leave him. He didn't let him go astray. He brought him back like the good shepherd. And really, I think this is one of the reasons why Psalm 23 is so endearing to us because it is, it's just so extremely relatable. We know what this feels like. We know what it feels like to be dry and joyless in our soul. We know what it feels like to experience the discipline of God because of our sin. Uh, sometimes it's not even because of sin. Sometimes it's because of affliction or uh, trials that are going on that just wear on our soul. And they continue to wear on us. And those things can be, just like David wrote, they can be like the, the August sun, or right now the September sun, <laughs> beating down and drying up the roots of our soul, right? But just like David, we realize we need restoration. We trust that the Lord can give it, and we cry out to the Lord for that restoration, that he will restore our soul, as this psalm says. Look at or listen to 1 Peter and what 1 Peter says about this. 1 Peter is a book that deals with trials and tribulations. 1 Peter 5.10 says this. It says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will restore you. That's kind of like the New Testament version to this psalm, to this verse. This is a promise. It's something that David said will happen. He does restore my soul. It's something that Peter says will happen. He will restore you. He doesn't give us a timetable for it. But he says it will happen. And so we don't know how long trials will last, how long the dry spells will last. Maybe they end next week. Maybe it's next year. Maybe they end when the Lord returns and those burdens are lifted away from us. But we do have the promise that God comes and refreshes our soul, restores our soul, brings joy to us, restores the joy of our salvation through forgiveness and through peace and rest from those trials that come upon us. And so this is what David understood looking back on his life. This is really what we can preach to our own souls as we go through these things, as we go through times where, you know, we're just not 
We're not really engaging as we're reading the Bible, as we're making an attempt to be consistent in praying or reading, but our heart's just not there, and we cry out to the Lord and trust that He will restore our souls. So we don't stop reading because it's difficult in our and we're having to struggle through it. No, we continue to read the Bible. We continue to draw close to God, trusting that he will do what he says. He will restore our souls. And really, this is, this is the good news of Jesus. When we think about the gospel, we think about it being good news. And there are several ways that we can list that it is good news. And this is one of them, that God restores our souls. That he doesn't leave us to wander when we stray off the path, that he restores us, he brings us back to him. That God is a God who doesn't change, he has all power, he shows steadfast love to his people. And so that means that if we know God, it's a guarantee that he will restore us. He will restore our souls. He didn't leave Jesus in the grave, he will not leave our soul in the pit of despair. He will restore us and restore us in him. And so this is the blessing that we have as Christians. This is the good news. We can say, just like David said, the Lord restores my soul. And that's really not the only thing we read in this psalm as we think about this verse. That's just first half of the verse, right? There are other good things in this psalm. Not only does God restore us, but then he leads us, he guides us, right? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so there are really, as you think about that second half of the verse, there are really three aspects to it, right? God's guidance, God's guidance on paths of righteousness, and then him doing it for his name's sake, right? So as we think about just this guidance that God gives, we, we remember it's not hard. It's like it's not hard to relate to the other parts. We understand that we need guidance. That there are so many decisions we're always making in life. Now, some are bigger than others. Some big decisions really make other little decisions for you, right? When you pick a career, well, that, that's going to make a lot of other decisions for you, like, how you're going to spend a lot of your time, kind of what your probable income bracket is going to be, what you're going to spend a lot of time focused on and hopefully enjoying or doing, right? Uh, when you decide who you're going to marry, that's going to affect a lot of what your priorities are going to be and who you're going to spend a lot of your time with and what you're then not going to be able to do later in life, right? And the same thing is true as we come to the Lord and we become a Christian, that, that affects a lot of the rest of our life. What are we going to do uh, on Sundays? What are we going to do with our spare time? It's not going to be spent just in leisure and entertainment. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray. We're going to commit to following the Lord. It makes decisions for us. And really, big or small, we make decisions all the time. Sometimes they have lasting impact. Sometimes the impact of those decisions is greater than we know at the time. But we need guidance in all those decisions. We need a lot of wisdom. We need a lot of the Lord's 
guidance. And this psalm tells us that the Lord guides us. He gives us that direction. He shepherds us. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. And so it's not just really that he leads us. That's important, right? He helps us to make decisions. He gives us his Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, to follow the Lord. But it's not just that. God guides us to make the right decisions. But he's guiding us in a personal way, in the way we should go. There's a, there's a relational aspect to it, right? The sheep relates to the shepherd. The sheep knows the shepherd. It's like when you have a little kid and sometimes they get a little antsy when they're around strangers, right? But if, if they're at home and mom and dad are around, like they're in their comfort zone, they're able to relax more, but you know, when they're thrown off or in a different environment, sometimes they get a little fidgety or they act differently, right? Well, it's a similar thing with us. It's not just that God is guiding us, but it's that the shepherd that we know, that we have a relationship with, that he is always with us, leading us on that path. And so there's this comfort, this peace, this trust that we can have as we follow him. And really, there's a there's a hymn that expresses this really well. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Where I go, where I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me. The, the goodness, the joy there is as God himself leads me. It's not just that I make the right decisions, but that he is here leading me, taking my hand every step away. There's goodness in that. That is the goodness of the good shepherd. And specifically, he doesn't just lead us anywhere. He leads us on paths of righteousness. He leads us to do what is right. Uh, some translations might say he leads us on the path that is right. That's a Bible translation as well. But just this idea that he... He's leading us down the good path, the right path. And we can, we can know what that path is. We can hear his voice as we read the Bible. You might have heard it said that we shouldn't ask God to speak to us and give us direction if we have our Bibles closed. Because he's already told us much of what we need to know. Frankly, everything we need to know for life and godliness. This is from Peter. Everything we need for life and godliness. God has given us in his word. And so if we need this guidance, if we need this direction, what is the path of righteousness? This is how he leads us. It's through his word. And not only does he lead us to do what is right, to obey him, to follow him, right? But that means that wherever the path leads, he's leading us down the right path. So a lot of times we think about it just in terms of he leads us to obey him. But if the Lord is my shepherd, if he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, that means wherever the path is going, this is the right path of the Lord to take. Uh, we'll see next week that even sometimes this path goes through the valley of the shadow of death. That that's not a mistake. That when we are walking that path, the Lord is leading us in that path as well. That no matter what is happening, the Lord is leading us down this path. 
as a good shepherd, knowing that this is good for us. This is, this is really the great promise of Romans 8, Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that God is working all things together for our good. So that means that no matter where the path goes, it's always the best path for us, the path that is going to make us look more like Jesus. Even when we stray off the path into sin, the Lord uses that to bring us back, to make us look more like himself. He is always leading us in the best way for us and to glorify him. And so that means wherever our path has led us, wherever our path is leading us, use the shepherd imagery and the sheep imagery, the grass is not greener on the other side. Again, he leads us, he makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters, right? He, he knows what we need and he leads us there. So even though we may look at a different path, a different set of circumstances, a different situation and think, that would be really great. I kind of just, I kind of need that right now. The Lord leads us in the place where we need to go. He leads us down the right path. He is not making a mistake as the great shepherd. He knows the path that we need to follow. And so we can trust him as his sheep, that he's leading us down the right path. And really, that path is not only good for us, but like I said, this is the path that brings him the most glory as well. And that's the, the last phrase in our verse this morning. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He doesn't just lead us in paths of righteousness so that we will experience goodness, so that our life will turn out right and we'll look more like Jesus. I mean, that's good for us, and that is what happens. But what is the underlying, the main reason everything is happening in our life? It's for his name's sake. It's that he would receive the most glory. He's orchestrating everything together to that end. Uh, we can see this throughout the Old Testament. Whenever we see this in the life of Israel, oftentimes they'll say, I'm not doing this for your sake. I'm doing this for my name's sake. We see that in Isaiah. We see it show up really as he talks about bringing them back from exile. As they've disobeyed, as they have sinned and forsaken him, he says, I'm not going to restore you because of what you've done. I'm going to restore you for my name's sake so that I would get the glory from it. And this is really the same thing we see throughout the Bible. Uh, a famous American theologian, Jonathan Edwards, probably the greatest American theologian minds to ever exist, really, he wrote an essay on this called The End for Which God Created the World. In other words, what's, what's the main point? What is, if you had to drill down to the, the core, the foundation, why did God create everything, the world and everything in existence? And he goes into a lot of detail, if you're familiar with Puritan writing, they go into a lot of detail extensively of why it is for the glory of God that everything has been created and everything exists. And so if you want to know why anything is happening right now in the world, this is it. Everything that ever happens 
is a part of God's sovereign plan to display and receive the most glory possible. Everything. We don't always know or understand exactly how this is going to play out so that he will receive the most glory. But this is the statement from the Bible that he will receive the most glory from. That it's for his name's sake. We don't, again, we don't see always how the pieces fit together, but this is the overarching answer that God gives to us about everything that is happening. It's for his glory. This is why not only are we told this so that we can trust in a good God who is working all things together for his glory, but we're also told in the New Testament, in whatever we do, not just what God does, but whatever we do, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do it to the glory of God. God. Because this is why everything exists. This is the purpose behind everyone and everything, that God would receive the most glory. And so this is really the amazing thing about this verse, that God tells us to glorify him in everything we do, again in the New Testament and elsewhere. But here in Psalm 23, we read that God is actually going to lead us in order to glorify him. He leads us down the right path so that he would receive glory. So not only does he command us to glorify him, but he, he works that in us. He leads us down that path. In other words, his commands aren't a burden to us, something that he's not going to also then provide for us to be able to do. What he wills, what he commands, he provides for. And so this is the good shepherd. He's not a cold-hearted taskmaster telling us and driving us in a certain direction. But he's a good shepherd who's leading us on the right paths and the paths that bring him glory. You wouldn't trust a shepherd that would get lost and wouldn't be able to get the sheep to the right place. Who would lead them on a dangerous path or who would leave them by themselves when the wolves come or who would take care of himself more than the sheep. You want to trust a shepherd like that. That would not bring a good repute, a good reputation to the shepherd. But our good shepherd does not do that. He leads us down the right paths. He's able to skillfully navigate the hills so that we have everything that we need. He provides he provides green pastures and still waters. He restores our souls. He leads us down the right path. And in so doing, he shows his skill, his greatness, his goodness, so that his reputation is exalted in our lives. And that's what happens as the Lord restores our soul. We experience the goodness and care of the Good Shepherd, and he is magnified his reputation, and he is glorified. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your word, that you remind us that you are a good shepherd to us. We pray that we will trust that more and more, that even as we look at our lives and we think about the trials, the hardships that we go through, that we will remember and trust that you restore us, that you will not leave us, but you will deliver us out of that 
We don't know when, but we trust that you will, and we pray that you would do it, that you would restore our souls, that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, the, the enjoyment of following you. Lord, forgive us of sin and wipe sin from us so that we may not be double-hearted or double-minded in following you, but have this one focus and goal of glorifying you. And remember that as, as we do that, that is where true joy, true goodness is, is in following the Good Shepherd. God, we pray that you will continue to work in us, give us wisdom for what these paths of righteousness are, and we'll give rest to our souls this week. Restore us, we pray in Jesus' name.